Amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. All right. Well, how are you doing today? Amen. Oh, so encouraging to be in the house of God and being among his people. Uh, real quickly, before we get into the message today, uh, this past week, many of you probably know, heard, heard the uh, news story, but there was a tragic accident that happened at the corner of Saginaw Street and Vienna Road. Uh, two ladies lost their lives, two sisters lost their lives in that car accident, and uh, they are uh, family, they are akin to uh, Shirley Frank and her family, and uh, she asked that if you would so consider, they are raising funds to help with the funeral, funeral expenses, and so if uh, you feel led and God puts it on your heart to help the family out, there is a uh, milk carton here with... Um, their picture on it, and uh, if you uh, feel led, you're welcome to donate to that, and we know that the family would very much appreciate that. We want to be a support and a light to our community, especially when tragedy happens and it's connected to our own church family. So thank you for your generosity. Uh, today is the last week in the series, Re, and I'm really excited about this series, uh, just talking about vision and, uh, and what God is doing in our church uh, and, and God has just kind of brought us to this point of recapturing the vision, resetting our hearts, and really um, leading us to re-sign our names on the proverbial dotted line of what he's calling us to do to fulfill his mission that he has for us in uh, this community. Our mission, we say it like this, is to engage people where they are and lead them to becoming fully developed followers of Jesus Christ. That is why we exist in a nutshell, is what Jesus sent the apostles in the church out to do, to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And so we have a big mission here in this community, and that is to engage our friends, our family, our neighbors, our coworkers with the gospel. And so um, we, we've been kind of going back as we've been going through this transition to kind of realign ourselves to that vision that God has for our life. And so uh, the, the first week, this series was called Revision. Second week was called Reset. Last week was uh, Resign. And then this week is called Rebuild. Tap your neighbor today and tell them it's time to rebuild. Come on, it's participation time. Touch your neighbor and tap them and tell them it's time to rebuild. And if you can't reach anybody, wad up a little piece of paper off your worship guide and throw it at them and tell them it's time to rebuild. Yes. See, this series, we've been talking about where we've been, where we are, and where we're going, addressing some challenges of this season, and hopefully aspiring, inspiring some hope that really the best is yet to come, that God is not done with us. There is a big world out there and a big mission and a big vision that he has for us. And today, I just want to look at just a couple of passages of scripture, uh, and we're going to begin in Luke uh, chapter 4. If you have your Bible, you can turn there now. Uh, also, uh, if you have the YouVersion Bible app, you can navigate to YouVersion, and in the live events, should have the notes for the message today, so you can keep track there, uh, as well as you'll have your worship guide and places to take notes. If our technology is not working, then you can uh, follow along there. But in Luke chapter 4, to set this up, Jesus has just kind of arrived on the scene. He'd been baptized. He uh, had gone to the desert. Now he's uh, beginning his ministry, and he goes into the synagogue, and as was the custom of the day, he receives his turn to read from the scroll. The men would take turns reading and just kind of declaring the word of God, and when Jesus takes his turn, he is given the scroll, the book of Isaiah, and in Isaiah, he reads a specific prophecy that basically announces that he is the Messiah. By reading this passage of Scripture, he's declaring to those men, his community, the people, that he is the Messiah, that the one you've been waiting for is being fulfilled right before your very eyes. And this, beginning in verse 18, is the passage of Scripture that he reads from Isaiah. He says in Luke 4, 18, says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. For he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that the captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. 
This passage of Scripture was widely known and believed by the Jews in this day to be a reference of the Messiah. It described the Messiah's ministry, the miraculous signs that would be uh, apparent and would be taking place through his ministry on the earth. And it was declaring how the Messiah was going to usher in the eternal kingdom of God onto the earth. The, one, the kingdom that God had been telling the nation of Israel about for thousands of years. So this is a pretty important prophecy in Scripture. That the ministry of the Messiah would be marked by miracles. The blind would see, the oppressed set free, the captives released. This is how you would know who is the one that is to come. And that the favor of God would come. And the course that we see in the life of Jesus and in his ministry, we see miracles. We see signs. We see wonders. We see all these amazing things. And that we understand in John 10.10, Jesus said, I've come that you may have life and life more abundantly. In other words, that I've come that you might have the favor of God fall on your life. This is why Jesus came. But something that's important to understand is that this calling, this ministry of Christ or the Messiah was not just for Christ alone. This ministry was transferred to the church when Jesus ascended into heaven. In John chapter 14, verse 12, Jesus says this. He says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do what? What's that say? The same works. The blind will see. The captives will be released. Those in prison will be freed. The same works will be seen and done amongst the believers of Jesus, of the church. The ministry that he worked while he was here is the same ministry the church is to champion on the earth. He says, they will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I am going to be with the Father. The ministry of Messiah was transferred to the church. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 19, Jesus is speaking with his disciples, and he tells them this. He says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom. You don't have them yet, but when I go to be with the Father, I'm going to give you, the church, the assembly, the people of God, the keys of the kingdom. Whatever you forbid on earth or bind on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on the earth will be permitted in heaven. In other words, the authority that you see in me will be the very authority you will have within yourselves. Jesus said, whatever you ask in my name, I will do it, that I may bring glory to the Father. The ministry of Messiah is the ministry of the church. The same works, the same ministry, the same authority Jesus demonstrated is what we should be seeing and experiencing in the church. But what is significant even more to me about this passage that Jesus read from Isaiah and the Isaiah scroll is that it does not just contain a messianic prophecy. It also contains an ecclesiastical prophecy. That word ecclesiastical is a big fancy word for the church. It's a prophecy about the people of God, the ecclesia, the assembly. Jesus said, I will build my ecclesia, my assembly, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He's speaking of the church. In Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 through 4, this is the parallel passage in the Old Testament where Jesus was reading in the synagogue. And here's what Isaiah writes. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted, to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. He has sent me to tell them, those who mourn, that the time of the Lord's favor has come, and with it the day of God's anger against his enemies. To all who mourn in Israel, he will give a crown of beauty for ashes, a joyous blessing instead of mourning, festive praise instead of despair. In their righteousness, they will be like great oaks that the Lord has planted for his own glory. They will rebuild the ancient ruins, repairing cities destroyed long ago. They will revive them, though they have been deserted for many generations. So this is the original prophecy. This is what Jesus was reading. This is what he had in hand in the synagogue as he was reading, prophesying and declaring that he was the Messiah. 
This is what Isaiah prophesied would be the ministry of the Messiah, would be what we could identify the Messiah from. But what does he say about those who trusted in the Lord? But those who would follow the Messiah's ministry, look in verse 4. In verse 4, it says this, they will, what's the word? Rebuild. They will rebuild the ancient ruins, repairing cities destroyed long ago. They will revive them, though they have been deserted for many generations. They will rebuild. Church, it's been prophesied that you will rebuild. You'll rebuild the ancient ruins, repairing cities destroyed long ago. You see, we have to remember, Jesus had a knack for taking dead things and raising them back to life. Young girls, sick friends, even himself. And the same calling has been passed to you and to me. See, it's not the point of the church that we get the gift of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. It's not the point of God to gift the church with his authority and his power just for the heck of it, or just so that we can read verses that say we have it, or that we could just pretend, you know, yeah, man, amazing, look at, look at what we can do. No, he has gifted the church. His entire intention is that through his authority and his power that we would become rebuilders that we would repair and rebuild what has been devastated. What in your life has been devastated? What is it in your life that's been devastated? Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's a friendship. Maybe it's your health. Maybe there's a relationship with a loved one or... Maybe it's your influence, your reputation has been devastated. Maybe your position at work has been devastated. What in your life has been devastated? Did you know that Jesus wants to restore what's been devastated? And he wants to make something beautiful out of it. And did you know that God has given the church the authority to bring healing and restoration to that part of your life? And did you know that if you've trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are a part of the church of the living God, which means that God wants to use you too to rebuild the ancient ruins of your life. God is not done with you, and what has been devastated is not intended to stay devastated, but we have a promise in Romans 8, 28, that God works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his promises. God wants to work in your life to rebuild what has been devastated, the ancient ruins of your life, and God wants to use you to rebuild the ruins of this community and in the lives of other people. You see, each of us, we are spiritual construction workers in the kingdom of God. We're construction workers. We have a job of rebuilding to do. Now, my wife and I, my family and I, we have kind of run into a, an issue with our home recently. We discovered shortly after we moved into our home that our roof was in need of repair. We were under the impression that uh, it had been updated at least um, mostly when we purchased the home. But after we developed a leak in the, in the garage, we began to explore and come to find out we needed to replace the entire thing. And so that's not something that we had uh, foreseen. It was an unforeseen expense. And so this summer, I applied to a couple of uh, uh, jobs in order to work some part-time over the summer and uh, to continue on so that we could afford to, to pay the the repair, and one of the jobs I accepted was at a construction company that specializes in building decks and handicap ramps for uh, those that um, are handicapped or those that have physical impairment, uh, even if it's just for a short period of time as they're going through recovery, uh, that's what we do, and uh, if you know me at all, you know that I'm not really all that handy. God did not bless me with the gift of fixing things. 
Um, usually I break them worse and end up having to call somebody else. I think that's why I married my wife and have the father-in-law that I have, because he can fix everything with duct tape and toothpaste, I think. So, um, but, uh, you know, I'm just not very handy. So I enjoy the job because not only is it fun for me, but I'm learning all sorts of stuff and gaining skills, and, and I'm, hopefully one day I'll be able to fix my own house and not have to call uh, 911. Um, but uh, one of the things I've learned while building ramps is that when you are building a ramp, it doesn't matter how long, it's important that the frame of the ramp is perfectly square. And this is not something I would have thought of on my own. But if the ramp is not perfectly square, as you're nailing on the deck boards down the ramp, you'll see that they'll begin to offset themselves. And by the time you get all the way down to the end, you'll see that the ramp is so cockeyed that it'd be absolutely ridiculous to leave it that way and could potentially cause problems later as the, the wood cures and begins to dry. And so uh, as I'm thinking about being a rebuilder and looking at the ramps, one of the things I'm learning is that it's not enough that we have good intentions to build a quality ramp. It's not enough that we have all the right materials or the supplies. It's not enough that we even have the diagram or the blueprint of what we're building. If we do not follow the right procedure, procedures to ensure a quality product is produced, then we could end up with something we can't even use or that won't be beneficial at all. And so to kind of illustrate what I'm talking about, I found some images online that I wanted to share with you today. So this first one, if we can throw it up there, this is what I call the watch your step. As you can see, that, that first step or last step, depending on which uh, direction you're going, is kind of a doozy. So I don't think they planned it that way, but that's not really great construction. Let's go to the second one. This is what I call the watch your seat. I don't know if some, some of you might have done this maybe by accident, but this obviously was not constructed appropriately, and, and any attempt to sit on this might cause serious bodily harm to you. Number three, this one's called don't mind the door. That's all right. Don't mind the door. And then probably the fourth one and my favorite, number four, it's, oh, that sinking feeling. Go ahead, number four. As you can see, it's, it's the leaning tower of, oh, God, please help me. This construction, as you can see, it doesn't matter if you have all the right parts and the, all the right pieces. It matters if it's applied appropriately to ensure a quality build, something you can use, and something that is not dangerous or hazardous to somebody's health. Not to mention that if you have a structure that's not built properly, it might not even pass inspection. It might not pass inspection and be approved for use. So anything you build has to be crafted appropriately. Now, if you think about it like this, Jesus said, we are the temple of God. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are his spiritual temple, which means a couple of things. One, it means that God is building us into his dwelling place, and God is using us to build his dwelling place. We are the dwelling place of God, but God is also using us to build that dwelling place. So we must realize something very specific. Since Jesus has given us his authority, we have the authority to determine what kind of structure his dwelling place will be. We have the authority. We get to determine. If we do things God's way, if we do things the way God would have us to do it, we will build a quality structure that brings life into our community. Or we'll be like six out of the seven churches in Revelation who didn't pass inspection. If we do things our own way, we may have all the materials, we may have all the, the, the right things, but if we don't apply them appropriately, we'll end up building something that could be hazardous to somebody's spiritual health or just not as effective as we want it at all. Part of rebuilding, especially in ministry, is revisioning, resetting, re-signing, recommitting. But the most major area of rebuilding that we need to focus on here among us in our church is the area of church culture. We need to build a culture within our church that is life-giving. 
And I'm going to kind of give you some leadership principles here. Currently, uh, there, there is uh, kind of a rise or a trend of uh, church leadership in this term called culture. But really, what culture is, it really describes three things. The culture of your church or your organization describes who we are here, what we do here, and how we feel here. Who we are, what our identity is, what we do, the things that we accomplish together, and how we feel when we are together, when we are together as a group. And the problem with church culture is unless you are intentional about creating a good culture, you will be unintentionally creating a bad culture. If you're not intentional about creating culture, you'll be unintentionally creating it anyway. It'll be unintentionally created for you. And usually it will be created with some unhealthy characteristics, such as if you think of your church experience, do people come to gossip or criticize? Or do people come to encourage or build up? Do people come to be served or do people come to serve? Are we self-centered and self-seeking or are we Christ-centered and self-sacrificial? or self-sacrificing? Do we hoard our blessings, or are we crazy generous? We will be, when it comes to culture, we will be, to others in our community, the product of our culture. And our culture among our church will be the product of what attitudes and behaviors we allow to continue and to go on. So this is so important, especially as we seek to grow as a church and invite guests and others outside the church to come be a part of what God is doing as we uh, attempt to engage people where they are and, and share the love and hope of Jesus Christ with them. Because the reality is most people will, will come, but they will discover your organization's culture, our church's culture, simply by the way they feel when they are here with us. It won't be in the music. It won't be in the message. It won't be... Uh, in um, any of the, the physical things. It will be in how they feel. And how they feel ultimately will determine how or if they return. They will discover your culture by what you experience without even really thinking about it. How they feel will determine whether they stay or whether they go. So each of us, as construction workers in, in the church, as spiritual builders, we play a major role in how someone feels when they come to Vertical Life Church. And uh, a recent leadership conference I was at, the, the speaker made a strong point. He said that culture trumps vision every day. And what he was meaning is that you can have the best vision for the ministry, you can have the best plans, you can have all your strategic plan in place and know every step that God is leading you to take, but if you don't have a healthy culture, you can throw the vision out the window. Because if you have a lousy culture, no one is going to want to put effort into making that vision happen. There won't be an excitement, there'll be disunity, division, there'll be more criticizers and complainers than willing servants and, and excited, anticipating people of faith. And nothing will be able to get done the way you envision it because we won't have the bodies to do the work of the ministry. Culture is that important. And so there are some things as a leadership team, we've been coming together trying to identify some unhealthy things in our culture. And we're trying to change the culture beginning uh, at the leadership level with our leadership team because we want to shift our church culture from being unhealthy to being healthy to being thriving, vibrant, and life-giving so that everyone that comes feels and knows they matter to God. We say that every week. We believe everyone matters to God. Well, people need to feel like they matter. And so we're doing that by identifying values that should direct our attitudes and behaviors at the leadership level. And we already have six core values, organizational values for our church. Uh, we used to have banners up in the hallway that, that displayed these different values. Our core values are wholehearted worship, unyielding truth, unceasing prayer, unrelenting witness, intentional community, and crazy generosity. These six organizational values are what drive our culture or drive our organizational decisions because we believe strongly when you read Scripture, especially looking at that early church in Acts chapter 2, that these are the characteristics of a true church of Jesus Christ. 
A true church of Jesus Christ will worship in spirit and truth. They'll give God all they are in their worship. They'll be dedicated to the book, the Holy Bible, as the foundation of their faith and practice. They will unceasingly pray for believers everywhere in the spirit. They will be unrelenting in their witness, trying to evangelize and tell people what God has done through Jesus Christ. They'll be intentional in meeting together, not forsaking the assembling of themselves, but gathering together even so much the more as they see the return of Christ coming close, and that the love of Christ and the generosity of God has so poured down on them that crazy generosity pours back out into other people because of what God has done. This is the mark of a true church. So we're building our ministry to reflect those organizational values. And even though those are our foundational values, we now have developed eight cultural values for our leadership team, and I've minimized them really into four culture values for our church to seek to embody together corporately, to help us live out our organizational values. These are our, cor- our corporate, corporate culture values to help us know not just what we do here or who we are here, but how we want people to feel here when they come, when we gather together. Again, if we believe everyone matters to God, that we need to believe that this is a place that people matter. We need people to feel like they matter when they come. And these organizational or these cultural values are going to help people feel like they matter to God and experience the very things that we hope to build among us. So I've listed four uh, cultural values here. They'll be on the screen. Uh, They'll also be made available to you in the coming weeks in in an actual document, but I wanted to give them to you now. Uh, Number one, our cultural values. The first cultural value is we are driven by love. This is the culture of Vertical Life Church. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, says, if I can speak with the tongues of men of angels, if I have the faith that can move mountains, but I don't have love, I have nothing. If everything we do, everything we are, if love is not driving that, if love is not driving us to this building, if love is not driving our service, if love is not driving our commitment, then it is profitless. God doesn't even honor it. We are driven by love. And what that means for us is that we are passionate to help people know they matter. Every one of us are passionate to help the people that gather today and with us in the coming weeks and years know they matter. It's not the pastor's job. It's not the VIP host's job. It is my job. I exist to help people know they matter. We also seek to encourage everyone we see. Paul in the New Testament speaks over and over again that the reason the Holy Spirit gives gifts to the church is so that we can encourage and build up one another. And as we're encouraging and building up each other, the church will be healthy and flourishing and blessed by God. And so what should drive us, that love that we have for one another should drive us to encourage one another, which means every person we see, we should seek to have an encouraging word for them. We should seek to encourage them, to love them, to build them up. Number three is to be driven by love means that we need to pursue ways to serve others. You know, sometimes, you know, people will come into the church and they'll be like, you know what, I just, I can't miss a service or I can't get involved in that because then I won't have what I want over here. It's a very self-seeking and self-driven attitude, but we are driven by love here, which means we seek and pursue ways to serve others. We seek to find out if people have a need and find ways to fulfill that need. This is who we are as Vertical Life Church. And number four, we are driven by love, which means this church is not here for me. I am here for this church. I don't come to consume. I come to pour into other people. I don't come for all the uh, things that I can get out of it. I come to pour into other people. And it's important that we understand this because Paul in the Corinthians, he said in, in Ephesians as well, said that as everyone is using their gift, as everyone is pouring into the church, the church itself will become healthy, which means if you're pouring in and I'm pouring in, we all get poured into as we're pouring out at the same time. But when we have people come and just receive and don't give back in, that's where unhealthy characteristics and unhealthy culture takes place. At Vertical Life Church, we are driven by love. Number two is we are driven by excellence. 
We are driven by excellence. The Word of God says that everything we do should be done for the glory of God, which tells us that good enough is not good enough. Good enough is not good enough. We should be constantly striving to give God our very best in all things. We are also creative. God is a creator God. That's one of his uh, names is that he is the creator. In the beginning, God created. In Isaiah, it says that God is doing a new thing, and he's constantly finding new ways to show us his love. In Psalms, it says, sing to the Lord a new song, encouraging the people of God to continue to be creative, to invest and invent new ways to connect with God and to show God love. And we here at Vertical Life Church, we are going to be, and we are, creative which means we think outside of the box when we look at ways to impact our community. And we also embrace change because the minute we stay the same is the minute we begin in decline. And we don't want to go backwards. We want to go forward. So we're going to constantly seek ways, thinking outside of the box, and how we can become everything God wants us to be and engage people where they are and lead them to becoming fully developed followers of Jesus Christ. We're driven by excellence, which means we are not sold with that. It means we are soldiers for solutions, not critical commentators. We are soldiers for solutions, not critical commentators. Anyone can show up to any church or anybody's house or any environment and criticize things that you don't like or things that you see that are out of order. But that's not loving, nor is that encouraging. And we are driven by love, which means we are encouragers. Being a soldier for solutions means this, that if I'm striving for excellence, if I see something that's not quite right, I'm going to take that as God speaking to me and saying, you go be part of the solution. You take it upon yourself to be part of the solution to help that area that's weak become stronger. You strive for excellence. You love. You serve. You fill the gap. So we are soldiers for solutions, not critical commentators, because we are driven by excellence. Number three, we are committed. We are committed. We live in a day and age that lacks commitment. We live in a day and age where uh, commitment seems to fall by the wayside where it comes to marriage and the divorce rate, where it comes to the transient nature of our younger generations. Commitment is severely lacking in our culture. And so at Vertical Life Church, we're going to be people who are committed, which means we are present. We're present when we gather for worship. We are present at outreach activities. We are present when the church has functions at Life Group and at other, uh, uh, other gatherings because it matters if we are present. And if you think about it like this, as a father of four children, I have to constantly remind myself, if I want my kids to think faith matters, that a relationship with Christ matters, then I have to show them that it matters to me. I have to show my kids that it matters to me that going to church is important, that being involved, that serving, that reading my Bible, that praying, it's important. So if I'm not showing them that it's important, how can I expect them to grow up thinking that those things are important? Well, the same is true for the church. If we want those who are far from God to think this matters, then we have to show them that it matters. If we want people far from God to believe having a relationship with Christ matters, we need to show them that it matters in how we read, how we pray, how we gather, how we love, and how we encourage. We are committed. We are present. We are committed, which means we are loyal to the vision. We are loyal to the vision. God has given your leadership vision on what he wants to accomplish in this church, and it is not open for debate because it is God's vision. Jesus, even in the garden, as he's getting ready to experience the cross, he cries out and he says, God, if this cup could pass from me, that'd be a great idea. If there's an option B, let's go with that. But at the end of the day, he said, not my will, but yours be done. A committed people are committed to the vision. And it's not about opinions and preferences. And though we, we welcome ideas and creativity, these are things that we welcome. What we don't welcome is division. And oftentimes, people can get so wrapped up in their preferences and their personal opinions that it becomes an area of division and a cancer in the church. But if we're committed to the singular vision, that means we're all going to be working in the same direction for the glory of God. We're committed to the vision. It's not our will, but his be done. 
We prioritize the kingdom of God over our preferences, which means we regulate our schedules to stay connected. In Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says, don't forsake the assembly of yourself, but meet more and more as you see the return of Christ coming close. And the tendency in our culture is to do as little church as possible. Yeah, you notice that? I mean, how many people do you know are gone all summer long? Or how many people do you know can't commit to a ministry or can't commit to serve because they have so many other things in their life that are going on that they can't dedicate one night a week or a couple nights, a couple days a week to serve in the church or to go on ministry outings together or outreach activities? We live in a culture that has created such a busy nature to our lives that we're unable to be committed the way that God has called us as his church to be. So at Vertical Life Church, we're going to prioritize the kingdom. We're going to arrange our schedules around God's call for our lives, not our call around our schedules. And we are committed, which also means we're teachable. We're never arriving. We're always pursuing. We're always seeking to learn and to grow. We're never going to get to the place where we think we have it all figured out or that, you know, this is as good as it gets because we know that the best is always to come. God is always taking us forward. There's always something to learn. There's a new way to discover God. The Word of God says that the Holy Spirit reveals the deep and mysterious things of God, that it searches the mind of God. And God told us in Isaiah that his ways are higher than our ways, that his thoughts are not our thoughts, that they're beyond our thoughts, which means there will never be an end to what we can discover, that God is uh, able to do infinitely and above beyond what we can even ask or think. There will never be a place where we have discovered all of God, where we have experienced all there is to God. There is always more. So at Vertical Life Church, we are committed, which means we are teachable, and we continue to seek and learn to grow. And number four is that we are spirit-filled. We are spirit-filled. The Word of God says that the Spirit is what unites us together in the bond of peace. Unity comes from the presence of the Holy Spirit. We are filled with the Spirit, which means as Vertical Life Church, when we gather together, we anticipate God to speak and to move in us. We anticipate it. We come knowing God's going to do a work. We come knowing God's going to do a miracle in my heart. We come anticipating God to move, to break down walls, to move things in my heart, to set us free, to do miracles, to be the change that we hope and seek him to be. We are filled with the Spirit, which means we also respond to what the Spirit speaks to our hearts. So many times we let pride or fear and anxiety or, or the, the fear of what other people think stop us from following what God wants. At Vertical Life Church, we're going to lay down fear because God's not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. And we're going to respond to what God wants to do in us so that miracles can happen in our midst. We are spirit-filled, which means we walk in the gifts of the Spirit and in confident hope that God's power will be unleashed among us. Who here today has accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior? Would you raise your hand? You've accepted Jesus. Okay. Keep, keep your hands up. All right. So the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 12 that God has given through the Holy Spirit every believer a spiritual gift. If that's you, keep your hand up. Okay, I didn't see any hands go down. You can put your hands down. That means everyone here has a spiritual gift. Everyone here. There is not a believer in Christ. God has not gifted. And the gifts of the Spirit are what God has used, as God has set aside to build and encourage the church, which means there is a purpose for your life. There is something He has planned for you to do, whether it's teaching, whether it's serving, whether it's prayer and faith. How, how many times do people come forward broken over the situation and are in desperate need of someone who can pray a prayer of faith over their situation and just saturate them with the love and hope of Jesus Christ. There is need of our church to walk in the gifts of the Spirit. If you have a gift, if you have a salvation, you have a gift. And it's time that the church begins to identify those gifts and walk faithfully in those gifts, trusting God is faithful at his word and will do the very things he said he will. We are spirit-filled, which means we walk in the gifts of the Spirit in confident hope 
that God's power will be unleashed among us. I believe with every fiber in my being that if we create a culture like this, driven by love, driven by excellence, committed and filled with the Spirit, and it is the very culture that the people feel and sense and experience when they gather with us, it's going to cultivate something very special. The fourth culture value, being filled with the Spirit, is probably the most important because if we pursue number four, all the other values will fall into place. All the other values will fall into place. Look at what Jesus said again when he quoted the prophet Isaiah in Luke chapter 4, verse 18. In Luke 4, 18, this is what he says. He says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And he has what, church? Anointed me. He has anointed me. It is the anointing of the Holy Spirit that brings about the ministry and the vision that God desires to fulfill in his church. In our church. When the anointing of the Holy Spirit is upon us, it will be a significant time in our lives and in the life of our church because Jesus declares that this message of the Messiah that is now the church's message and the ministry of the Messiah that is the church's ministry, it will unfold and usher in a very important and significant time. Look what he says again, Luke 4, 18 and 19. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, to set and proclaim the captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free. Read this with me, church. And go ahead, next slide, Reese. Read this. He says, And that the time of the Lord's favor has come. This is the end result of the ministry of the Messiah, the anointing of the Spirit, the power and presence of God in the church is that it ushers in the time of the Lord's favor. And this is God's will for us. Not that we would stay a place long devastated or a ruin. His will for us is as we rebuild, we will enter into a time of God's favor. Do you want to enter into God's favor today? Do you want to enter in God's favor? Do you want to see these seats filled to the max capacity? Do you want to see our, our ministry starting revival in our community? Do you want to see us being able to reach those who are far from God, partnering with other churches and helping supporting the kingdom in our area? Is this what you want to see? Then it begins with the anointing and presence of the Holy Spirit. My prayer is that God's glory would be revealed in us, that revival would be poured out through us, birthed among us right here in this school. But it begins with the filling of the Holy Spirit. And if we seek to build a structure without the right components, it will not pass inspection. It might even be hazardous to our health. But if we seek the filling of the Holy Spirit and walk in faith to build a life-giving culture, we will become a life-giving church that opens the eyes of the blind, that releases the captive, and sets free the oppressed. We will see miracles and experience the power and presence of God on a scale we've never imagined. I believe this. I believe the best is yet to come. And this will happen if we work together to rebuild, to rebuild a church that is driven by love, driven by excellence, that is committed and filled with the Spirit. And there is no limit to what God wants to do. But you know what? I need your help. The leaders of the church need your help. We cannot do this alone. It cannot solely fall on our shoulders. We need you to help us achieve the vision by helping us Keep one another accountable to this culture that we want to create, this life-giving culture, because we want a life-giving church. Each of us need to become accountable to be driven by love. Each of us need to be accountable to be driven by excellence. Each of us need to be accountable to be committed, and each of us need to be committed and accountable to be filled with the Holy Spirit. In a couple of weeks, we're going to start a new teaching series 
on the Holy Spirit. And I'm asking you right now as your pastor to begin praying, to begin praying and commit now to pray that God would open your heart to the truth of the word of God and give you the faith to respond and press into what he wants to do in your life. I believe great things are to come. I think it's going to be a very powerful series, a very powerful time in the life of our church as we seek the Spirit together. But in the next few weeks, my prayer is, is that God's anointing would fall on our church, and it would begin the time of favor. Let's bow our heads for prayer as we close. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes, no one looking around, and just enter into a time of response. The music's going to play, and we're going to end with one more song, and as we prepare to receive our offering. I just want to ask you this question. Ask yourself, or ask God, really. God, what are you saying to me? What's your word for me today? What do you want for me out of this message? And when he speaks it to your heart, don't stay content with just hiding it and burying it deep down. Make a move. We respond to the Spirit here. We respond to what God is doing. We don't let faith, fear hold us back. We walk in faith together as a church. There will never be a day where you will come down to this altar to be met with humiliation, condemnation, or criticism. But every life that comes forward, every heart that comes forward to pray, every heart that takes a step of faith, we rejoice in, we encourage, we thank God for, and we're excited to be a part of whatever God is doing in your heart and in your life. So whatever it is, the next few moments, let's just respond to God. And if you're here today and there's an issue in your life, maybe there's a, a sin issue that you've just been struggling with or maybe nothing so serious, but you've just been under a heavy weight of emotion, a lot of stress in your life. Maybe there's a health issue. If you would like to come forward and pray, I invite you to respond in that way. Word of God says that if we confess our sins to one another and pray for each other, we'll be healed. There is forgiveness when we confess to God, but the healing comes when we confess to one another. Don't stop your healing because of fear and pride. Respond. Don't continue to bury yourself under the weight of your struggles. Respond. And so for the next few moments... We're just going to go into a time of worship, and you respond to what God is laying on your heart. We have the microphone up here. If God has spoken to you and has given you a word of encouragement, maybe a testimony that would encourage the church, this is also the time to respond. When we stand, you come and you share what God has laid on your heart. But as we sing this worship song, I just invite you to respond to what God is doing. Amen. When the earth is quaked before The sound of his voice sees that are shaken and stirred can be calmed and broken from my regard. This is Tina, and she asked me to help her because microphones give her, I don't know what we want to call it, episodes, but Tina had a blessing this past week. She's been struggling, but over the course of our Blessed Life series, God got a hold of her heart to start giving and to be faithful in her tithe, and one Sunday... 
she had a little bit of money that was dedicated for something else, but she decided to give all she had, just trusting God. In this past week, she received an anonymous letter in the mail with an anonymous substantial gift. And in the letter were three scriptures, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto their own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy path. Matthew 6, 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. In Deuteronomy 31, 6. Be strong and of good courage. Fear not, nor be afraid of them. For the Lord thy God is he that doth go with thee. He will not fail thee nor forsake thee. And it's just a testimony of God's faithfulness. Do you want to say anything? I have turned everything over to God 100%. I knew who this check was from, right from God. But I also asked him to bless the person or persons he had sent it. And I love each and every one of you. Amen. Amen. Thank you for that. We just praise God for that. Amen. Amen. Through it all, my eyes are on you. cranky night last night went to leadership meeting prayers were said and I had peace before I went to leadership meeting I said you know what I don't serve tomorrow I never take a break me and the boys are gonna stay home we didn't and I was reading something this morning about like knowing who you are and the struggle of being a mom a wife working and all that, and kind of knowing who your identity is and who you were. And, <laughs> sorry, I was not planning on crying. Um, and God did something weird today. I ended up talking to somebody, and my past came back up. And somewhere that I'd lived that nobody really relates to, somebody knew the name of that town. Thank you. It was amazing. And I know God was speaking to me in that moment that he sees me. He knows me. He knows all the experiences I've had and that he's not forgotten what he's taught me through that. And that they still matter and I can still do things with that. So, Amen. I don't know. Just struggling. So, thanks. service will receive our regular tithes and offerings we just thank you for your faithfulness this is an act of worship as we are obedient 
with our finances, what God has asked us, and we give out of generosity of our hearts and thankfulness. So as the offering buckets are passed, uh, we'll say a prayer, just continue in this time of worship, and when the buckets are completed, we'll be dismissed. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that you have called us for a greater purpose. You've invited us into a greater story. And this little amount that, that we are giving in faith, God, and giving in obedience, Lord, it will be blessed beyond measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over as you open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing we cannot contain because you are a good Father. You are always faithful. And Lord, when we walk in faith and in our walking in obedience, God, you do the miraculous because you are a miraculous God. And so we ask you to bless these offerings, bless every gift, bless everyone here and those of our church that are away. And I pray, Jesus, that the time of favor would begin to unfold as we begin to step up and create a healthy culture that is life-giving as we endeavor together to engage people where they are and lead them to becoming fully developed followers of Jesus Christ. We ask this in Jesus' name. anyone knows me, I hate microphones, so this is truly the Holy Spirit moving me today. And I think with what Julia said, I really, I felt like, and what Joey said, I just feel like I want to encourage everyone, and thank you for being our family, and for serving and loving us, and you're just all wonderful people, and we love you. So we're, we're striving ahead, and, and I don't know. I just think we don't thank everyone enough. So. Thank you. Well, I had a blessing this weekend. My son came down, and we got to worship together. Amen. And this is really great because... He's, not, he's struggling with between Christianity and Muslim. So right now he told me that 
Jesus is in his heart and that Jesus is a savior. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you. Awesome. Awesome. But God is still alive. He is still on the throne. And he is not done with us. Father in heaven, we thank you for the praises. We thank you for the encouragement. Holy Spirit, we thank you for the words of encouragement. We thank you for what you're doing in our hearts and lives and revealing that you are still a living God who loves his children. And so, God, I just pray that this encouragement would give us strength to uh, face each challenge every day. God, I just speak strength over each and every one of us. Encouragement, God, joy, Lord, that even in the midst of a difficult situation, the joy of the Lord, which is our strength, which is overflow, that the peace that passes all understanding will guard our hearts and minds. God, keep us drawn into your heart. Keep us uh, deep steeped in prayer, Father, that we would not lose connection, that we'd remain connected to the vine, which is Jesus Christ, for we can do nothing without him, but all things through him. And I just thank you for your plans that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, guys. We'll see you next week.